Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. I also wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by my book. I have a book coming out. I'm so proud of this, guys. Um, The links are already up. I'll have them in the show notes. But the book is called Modern Still Life, From Fruit Bowls to Disco Balls. It is my take on a step-by-step painting book. I am really excited about it. Not only does it have like motivational tips and tricks to keep you going in your practice, but it also has clear and beautiful and full color breakdowns of the step-by-step process in my paintings. So I could not be more excited about it. If you wanted to check it out, pre-order it, it would help me more than you even know. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari, thanks for being here. Today is the fourth and final part of the four-part series on motivation. How else should we start our January, right? I love talking about motivation. And to summarize our first three parts, because I think all of these series, like the sections work best together, it basically feels like a full conversation and it kind of needs all these working parts. But the first part, I talk about how the foundation of motivation and, and discipline and all of those things has to start with a core of self-love that we cannot just white knuckle and shame ourselves into being motivated. It's just not a very good source of fuel for us. In the second episode, I talk about daily painting. Some of you may know that I kind of got my start on social media as a daily painter. And so I talked about how consistency really has to be founded in building up self-trust and more specifically how it forces us to tackle perfectionism that perfectionism isn't the the price for admission for being able to be consistent but that consistency is really our best selves taking care of ourselves and showing up no matter what kind of work we output that we deserve that consistency and that regularity and those opportunities to make art even if we are not showing up and being perfect and let's be honest most of us cannot be perfect on a daily basis. It's just a myth. It's not possible. And then last week's episode, I talked a little bit about discipline. I wanted to sort of pull it away from its, you know, can tend to be a little like bro-ish or punitive context and really explore how discipline can really be our fuel and our motivation in a way that is compassionate and kind and not just, again, sort of motivating out of shame. So there's a consistent theme here, but it's funny that I am putting this fourth part of the episode last because it's usually whenever I talk about discipline and motivation, the part that comes first. So again, kind of going in line with what I was saying a minute ago of being a daily painter, I've made a lot of art <laughs> and I still produce art pretty consistently. And so a question I get asked kind of a lot on social media is like, how are you so prolific? And I think sometimes it's rhetorical, but anytime I answer, I usually start with what will be kind of the essence of today's episode, which is acknowledging that not everyone is in the same position to be motivated and that our current sort of systems that we exist in, capitalism, patriarchy, racism, classism, ableism, etc., do affect our ability to be motivated and more specifically how motivation in a lot of ways has been co-opted as a tool of these oppressive systems. And so I am fighting for nuance and... I understand why there, at least in certain parts of my social media echo chamber, a real desire to like completely reject motivation as it has been weaponized by, we'll just say capitalism for brevity's sake. But I really think that 
being motivated, disciplined, productive for yourself is actually a very radical and empowering tool. So in today's episode, it's going to be addressing some of those systems and the validity of them, which if you don't want to listen to the whole episode, there are plenty of completely valid reasons why not everyone can be equally motivated. And if all you get from today's episode is like, I get it, I understand, we're fighting for you, and we're fighting to where everyone can have an opportunity at that equity of effort and motivation, but also how we can sort of reframe that in order to have some of that nuance and let that motivation work for each and every one of us. So anyways, if that sounds good, if that sounds exciting, then let's just dive into today's episode. So I briefly want to mention something that I do think I've mentioned before, but it, it it's if you've ever wanted to know kind of how I view talking to the public, which I, I do as a professional artist on online, is, you know, I understand, I, I think an important skill to have for anyone, something I'm trying to sort of uh, get my eight-year-old to build, because uh, it is a skill, is the ability to sort of read a room. Who are you talking to? Who's in the room? What? How should that shape what you're saying? You know, all of that stuff. It's good. It's emotional intelligence at its finest. And, um, you know, it's something that as a grown-up, I strive to be very good at. However, when you talk to the internet, you know, there's no way to read a room the size of the internet. <laughs> it's just not possible. So I think it's important that you become very intentional with what you say, assuming that not hurting people is something that you're trying to do. And of course, it goes without saying, you cannot please every single person. But I think instead of just swinging to that side of the pendulum and saying whatever you want on the internet, at least within the context of what I'm doing, which is talking a lot about class and gender, I do think it's important. And so one of the stories that I keep kind of central in my mind is it's a it's a little story from Grist for the Mill by Ram Dass. And it's a part where he, Ram Dass talks about how, how you should give advice and how you should take context on when you give that advice. So in the story, Ram Dass is a dedicated student who's been studying under him for years and is deciding to go on a 10-day fast under Ram Dass's advice and guidance. And so he comes up to Ram Dass on day seven. He hasn't eaten and he's tired and he's frustrated. And he says, Ram Dass, I'm so hungry. I'm so tired. Help me. And what help looks like in that instance is Ram Dass looks at him and says, you've got this. Remember why you're fasting. Think of all the spiritual enlightenment you'll achieve. And the student goes on his way, achieves enlightenment, and everything is great. Another day, someone who also hasn't eaten in seven days comes up to him. But this is someone who lives on the street and is not housed and is unintentionally going without food. They're looking for food and they cannot find it. And they're struggling and they come up to Ramdas and say, Ramdas, I have not eaten in seven days. I'm so hungry. Help me. And Ramdas says that it would be cruel in that instance to try to give him the same advice he gave to a student, despite the fact that they both hadn't eaten for seven days and they both said, I'm so hungry. Please help me. And in that case, the advice is to feed that person and not to tell them that they're about to achieve a spiritual enlightenment. So I think about that with the internet. And the way that that shapes how I talk to people is, yes, I have gained a lot of insight from working hard and being disciplined. I don't think I would be here if I didn't have to do that. You know, while my peers in college who are also running on the cross country and track team and also on scholarship would do our long runs on Sundays, we'd all run between nine and 15 miles. I would shower eat a meal, and then go work from two to close, so two to midnight. 
and they would all nap. (laughs) And I had to do that in order to pay for the food and my car in order to continue and books and to continue attending college. So, you know, I, I have seen that hard work, you know, pay off in my lifetime. But I also know that not everyone's coming from the same point. And despite the fact that I can look back at my life and see a tremendous amount of work that I've overcome, I also acknowledge that my story is as much about my privileges as my disadvantages. And so all of this to say, it would feel cruel and very against my own personal convictions to hop on the internet and just be like, anyone can work hard, you can achieve what I have achieved if you just work hard. I get why people do that because people love that narrative. It enforces a lot of ideas around the meritocracy, that nothing needs to be fixed because all you have to do is work hard, Um, but it's disingenuous. I mean, generously, it's just disingenuous. I think it can be downright hurtful despite the fact that it is profitable. (laughs) And so what might be some reasons that just simply telling someone to work hard may not work for them. I mean, I could probably list off things until I'm blue in the face, but I also know people who, you know, have chronic illnesses that affects their energy and they go months and months, if not years, without really being able to do anything except for the bare basics. And that is a valid battle. And a lot of people have invisible illnesses. So, you know, you don't know what people are struggling with on the inside. Another aspect is asking people to work hard, to work on art and in their spare time. You know, you can point to people who've done that, but I also think it's important to note some people have jobs that are very mentally demanding and already require a certain amount of creative labor. And I think being really aware of your limitations and being critical of like why you're having a hard time isn't just looking at your own personal flaws and sort of saying, well, I guess I'm just lazy. Like I have helped people, you know, in more of a one-on-one capacity realize and make the connection that like, oh yeah, like your job is actually incredibly creative. It might be like lower C creative, like in the way we think of like care tasks at home are often incredibly creative. Uh, Cooking meals is creative. You know, all kinds of things that we don't, that we sort of take for granted are creative. It's just not creative in the sort of I don't know, the flashier look at my canvas, look at my sculpture kind of creativity. And truthfully, another aspect is that a lot of people, a lot of workers these days are are just time poor. You know, we often think of poverty as just like this two-dimensional, you know, financial exploitation rather as this two-dimensional, you either have money or you or you don't sort of thing. And we forget that exploitation doesn't just simply affect your bank account, it can affect other things. I'll give you kind of a more meaningful example. So when I was a child into college, up until I graduated from college, I was both financially poor and also time poor. Like I truly did not get enough sleep every night. If somebody had asked me to do one more thing besides like getting good grades, working enough to pay for my basic needs and getting a scholarship and earning that scholarship, I could not have done it. And, you know, there's a lot in our culture that says, well, you're not dedicated enough. And that's truly unfair because there are so many people who really cannot add one more spinning plate to their load, right? It's just not possible. But after I um, graduated from college, my husband and I, we moved down to Texas because he got a job at a sports media startup writing company. Um, He was basically, he's an English 
major and it was one of those I think they call them like 20 20 20 jobs where you hire a 20 year old to work 20 hours a day and you pay him $20,000 a year obviously not quite that extreme but it really was like he was being paid for the prestige and the opportunity to work in his given major and so we were very strapped for cash I think I was doing like Instacart I worked at a shoe store a nonprofit company for a little bit and during this time our bank account was marginally better than it was in college but I had an abundance of time all of a sudden and it was with that time that I was able to read books on reparenting and trade some graphic design work for therapy and um, go on walks and really process things and so a lot of the foundation that got me to a place where I could build my daily painting practice where I could turn my hard work into something came off of while yes I was still in a lot of ways just as broke as I had ever been it wasn't nearly the same kind of broke because not only did I have a college degree which I know doesn't completely change everything but it allows you into certain spaces into certain classes where you're given a little more humanity back than if you you know are in the situation I grew up in but also just that little extra bit of space allowed me to do some of the work to get me into position to where I could work at something and be dedicated to something like I am my art. All that to say, there's a really tempting desire to come onto the internet and say, I did this, you know, I built this from nothing. I built this from from ground up. And while I certainly do personally validate myself, I also know that somebody else might look at their bank account and it's the same, you know, also pretty, pretty low, but they also might be taking care of multiple children and taking care of aging parents and picking up other kinds of labor. And I think it's disingenuous to say, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. The the irony here is that nobody can tell you how lucky, how blessed they are than like someone who truly is very poor, you know, growing up sort of in my communities, People were always so quick to be like, I couldn't do it without my grandma watching my kids or without the church fundraisers or, you know, I am into, and I don't think it's anything unique to me, you know, I am intimately aware that even something like the fact that during my childhood, I only moved a couple of times was absolutely groundbreaking. Had I had to go from school to school to school, like a lot of people who are lower income, that may have been the straw that broke the camel's back and prevented me from being in a position to where I could work hard enough in order to get to college. You know, if I had one more teacher look at my dyslexic butt and say, <laughs> you know, this kid is not worth investing in. They're just not, must not be smart. As opposed to whenever I went to a school for a long time, I had enough teachers who said, oh yeah, Sarah, yeah, she's, um, she's really bad at spelling and kind of spacey. Actually, I think she might actually be kind of intelligent. Like, you know, don't give up on her. And, you know, do I think that that exact conversation happened? I don't know. But I read the book Evicted, and there's an enormous amount of stats that say that the more you can stay in one place as a kid, especially if you're poor and vulnerable, the better your outcomes are. And I do truly think that that may have been one of the biggest breaks I had as a poor person. And so it's because of these nuances and subtleties that I refuse sort of the ideology that acknowledging things that are limiting you from being able to put in the work is just simply excuses. I think it is vital to become aware of the reality of your situation even if your goal is to be more motivated or to eventually be in a place where you can work really hard on your art and you know make something of it whether that's making a body of work getting an idea out of your head seeing something through or making it your career whatever it is being upfront with the things that are holding you back that are out of your control is actually a form of sort of love and self 
self-love and recognition. This brings me to something that I have been doing with my my son for a couple of years now. So he's eight. He's the age where he's asking bigger, harder, more challenging questions. He's a very observant kid and he's very sensitive. And, you know, because of that, as a parent, you sort of find yourself in a position where you want to be really honest about telling your kids and teaching them about you know, the current state of the world, the good, the bad, the ugly, etc. But you also don't want to throw them in the deep end to like nihilism. And truly, I do think that there is hope in the world. I'm a big believer. And maybe it's because of my echo chamber on the internet. But I see a lot of people genuinely motivated to make the world better invested in what real equity looks like. And I just have a belief (laughs) as naive as it may be that we will continue to progress. And so that leaves you as a parent with like, how do you tell your kids about these things without sort of dumping them into the, the deep end? And I think my whole strategy with parent is always your kids are smarter than they think. You want to be careful of age appropriate stuff. Sure, of course, of course. But also I have found that giving my kids the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their intelligence and their ability to discern and have a natural sense of justice has always been rewarded. Obviously, you guys know your kids better, so don't take parenting advice from me. So this is the strategy I've come up with. I explain this to my son. Anytime he comes up with a hard question or an observation he makes about the world and he wants to know why, and usually the answer is some form of, you know, it's capitalistic exploitation, it's sexism, it's, you know, classism, racism, ableism. Instead of jumping straight into sort of college, high school level terms with him, I sort of like to use as much layman's terms as I can. So our strategy is we talk about that every situation is like a room or a space. And it's important to acknowledge the ceiling, the floor, and then who's missing in that room. And so the ceiling is the way it should be. You know, mom, why are most of the bosses in this show men, for example? (laughs) And I can tell him in a way that's age appropriate and with verbiage that he will understand that there is a history of men thinking that their work is outside the home and women's work is inside the home. I'm greatly simplifying what I would normally explain to him. And that would be the floor, right? The the way things are, the reality of the situation. And it's grim and it's unfortunate and you have to, you know, of course it's not right. But this is the way it is. And then the ceiling is, and sometimes he helps me make the ceiling, but it's like, what should this look like? What is the ideal? What is fair? What is right? What should, what could this look like? What is the ideal of this situation? And I think that's really important as, you know, a creative person, especially, I think that there's a lot of power in spending some of your creative energy on on really examining what the world could look like. I feel like this on some level has positively infected my artwork, but regardless, I like to envision with my son and ask him, like, well, what do you think would be fair? What should this look like? And of course, I help and we talk about it. These are always really good conversations. And then of course, the last thing that's really important is, and who is missing from this conversation? Who should we ask? You know, oh, like it's all men and women, but like, have you thought about like, you know, are there enough black women at this conversation? Is, you know, is, I, we, we're noticing that it's a lot of boy bosses and not very many girl bosses, but who else is part of this conversation that we might be leaving out? And so we do this over and over again. And I think that this has actually helped me sort of process things because on some level, I think this is how I've always processed things. Like it's important to have a realistic understanding of the kinds of exploitation that you face. But then also, what would it look like in an ideal situation? And the ceiling is going to be different for everyone. Again, this is just kind of a reframing device. It's not perfect. But, you know, 
what could it look like? What could you do? What would be an ideal situation? You know, how could your labor be rewarded? How, and I I think you can get really creative, you know, the sky's the limit to keep with this (laughs) analogy, but it's something that I think is helpful because I want to be careful that while acknowledging legitimate limitations, whether it's sort of your own health or culture or, or both, that we also don't just give in to learned helplessness. So there's this movement in China specifically with the younger generations called Lying Flat or Tongping. I'm not exactly sure what the tones are. Sorry, guys. But it's sort of this rejection of the social pressure to overwork and overachieve. And in a lot of, I'm not criticizing this. In a lot of ways, I sort of, I appreciate this because sometimes that's how you have to send messages to the powers at be. That's why we know that boycotting is effective. I never want to sort of disparage a mass movement like this, especially because they're hard to do, you know, and I'm always optimistic when stuff like this happens. So I want to be abundantly clear that this is not a criticism of that, but more that I would think that if we embodied something similar in our own life, and I do think there's validity to our own personal resistance, right? Resistance work best, obviously, in numbers, but I also think that there's merit and power to sort of embodying those belief and that resistance within your own life, even if it doesn't sort of actually do anything officially into the world. If you can live in alignment with your values, I think there's power to that. But what I worry about is that by sort of rejecting this pressure to overwork and to show your worth, you know, by having a basic standard of living only at the other end of working incredibly hard, you know, one of the things I think a lot about is, you know, that there's a lot of sort of, as much as I really dislike that sort of bro culture, atomic habits, sort of, not disparaging that book per se, but sort of this idea, this really dramatic idea that like in order to get ahead, you have to get up at 4am, you have to grind, you have to work incredibly hard. I always sort of appreciate it because on some levels, it's honest of the kind of enormous amount of work that it takes to sort of get a leg up in our current culture. But I also think that completely having the pendulum swing to the other side if you do earnestly have the space, time, and energy to to put into something meaningful, like a creative practice, like yourself, you know, whatever that is, at the, hopefully at this point of the series, you're more clear on what that might look like. I would also, you know, be careful. And the way I think we could do that is, again, using that reframing device, the ceiling, the floor, who's missing. And at that point, finding sort of a nuance in between. And, you know, the tricky thing about that is that's hard to sell. You know, the answer is like, here's the real limits of exploitation. Here's what the potential could be. And at that point, everyone sort of has to pick your own journey of how they're going to sort of implement that to the best they can in their life. But what I'm fighting for here is sort of the nuance to not just give in simply as a way to resist capitalism if you have a fire in you and you want to create something and you want to make something creative the last thing i'll say about this is that i have this belief that creating something especially if like your goal isn't necessarily to sell it or to like make it a business per se not that it's bad if you do but if your goal is to just make art for art's sake that I actually think that there's a tremendous amount of resistance in that and that it is work. It's not just simply laying down and laying flat. It is action. But don't let the fact that culture has co-opted action, motivation, discipline as a way to sort of enforce the needs and the agenda of the powerful away from you putting that effort into something that would serve you. And truthfully, I think we need more people who can understand and sit in, in that nuance 
of acknowledging that there is exploitation and yet still choosing to put again if they have the space that's the key here putting that energy into creating something into making art into making statements into making community or whatever it looks like for you I think that that's incredibly valuable and we need more people who are sort of doing that we need more of that energy I think and I certainly can say that I have benefited from that sort of energy and there really isn't anything I think in a lot of ways more radical than like working hard like purely for yourself and obviously there's working hard for yourself could also mean working hard enough to be able to afford healthcare because healthcare is a human right so there is tremendous nuance there but I also think working hard for yourself in a way that isn't going to be seen or rewarded by capitalism and that could be something like making bad art like I think there's nothing more self-actualizing and revolutionary than like making a body of work that like will never sell (laughs) and taking time away from other tasks whether that's like beauty maintenance or picking up that extra side hustle or whatever to just relish in your own time and and do that and that sort of rounds up my motivation series I feel a little remiss leaving you with that because I don't want it to sound like I'm taking the wind out of your sails I hope that you understand all of these four parts together contextually and it gives you some stuff to think about when it comes to making a plan for yourself whether you are currently diving into a daily painting practice or some kind of a daily art practice or whether you're gearing up for doing something in spring whatever it is These are sort of the things that I juggle in my thought process when I'm planning things for myself, when I'm pushing myself, when I'm motivating myself. And it's not one clear roadmap. It's just things to consider and weigh. And hopefully it was a little bit helpful. If nothing else, like thank you guys for listening and hearing my thoughts on this. Feels good to have it outside of my head. Let me know what your thoughts are, if there were any good takeaways, of course, from this episode, but from the series in general. And I appreciate you. Thank you for listening and happy creating if you want to, or you can lie flat, whatever. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being here. I wanted to also encourage you guys to leave a review. The feedback is incredibly helpful. And if you leave a review, I will read your handle or your name on the following week's episode. Take care, y'all, and happy creating.